and I guess when my when my friend passed away, it made me think to myself, what would my 85-year-old self say? And <laughs> mid-level banking wasn't going to cut it. <laughs> you know, if I'm on my deathbed, having been a senior employee in a bank somewhere is an achievement, you know, and I'm proud and I'm yes. really glad to that bank because they gave me so many opportunities. Yes. Honestly, I have many friends there. I, even the institution is still my friend. Yes. I'd been there for a long time. Yeah, the, the development. It's more than a decade. But a time had just come to A, come home, B, build something meaningful. Running an African startup is very different than running a startup anywhere else in the world. There's the tech OGs, guys who've done it for a while. There's the new kids on the block. There's the VCs, impact investors, government stakeholders, and everybody else. It is a crazy show. And if you have been running a startup or know somebody who has, the one thing everybody has is war stories. My name is Tony Domo, and my African startup story is about those war stories. It's about trying to find the African inside the business, wherever the startup founder is from. It's about being able to stand up for what you believe in, to keep integrity at the forefront of what you're running, and try not to go crazy while you do it. So even as you listen, whether you're a startup founder or in any of these sectors I've mentioned, may you learn something, be inspired, maybe even start your own business. Welcome to my African startup story. Enjoy. Uh, welcome to the Tony Doe, my African Startup Story podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me, man. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> he sits with his legs chilling, <laughs> Mimi. He's got vape. <laughs> it's looking like 2020 was tough. <laughs> All right, let's get into that. Um, do a self-intro. I never do intros. I've come to learn that people, people have a, a very strong affinity to the person they want to project. It depends on how far you, you want me to go. But I guess as you an know, intro... Just starting uh, with names and the company you kindly run is a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. so uh, my name is Mark Mwangi. I'm the uh, CEO and founder of Amitrack, mm -hmm. a digital uh, marketplace for deliveries. Yes. Essentially, we connect transporters with cargo owners in a secure, efficient, and fair manner. And when I said you're the Uber for trucks, you refused. You said, Z, man. That's not exactly right. Tell me, tell me why that didn't... Why doesn't because we're more of a marketplace. So, you know, we're more, so, we're more like an eBay for deliveries. What does that look like? You have truck owners on one side and you have delivery clients like myself on the other side. This is correct. correct. And then now how does that work? So, basically, a client jumps onto our mobile app or on, on our, web, our website mm -hmm. um, and they tell us everything about their delivery. Yeah. So, you tell us where you want it to go. That can be multiple places, which yeah. most businesses actually do. Mm -hmm. So, we enable you to consolidate deliveries, do more than one at the same time. Yeah. You give us any special instructions you have. It's a free flow field. So, you can tell us. It's a um, free flow, flow field. field. You can just type out okay. your instructions to the to the to the transporter. Okay. You can sort of say things like I need a loader or I need you to drop these documents at this place and these documents at this okay. place. Okay. So when you get okay. to this place, call this person. Right. So it allows you to do a lot. Yeah. Um, if you're not contracted with us, we still offer insurance, which means you can select insurance options. You give us some valuation oh. of the things you're uh, that you're transporting, okay. and we okay. provide. Uh, goods in transit cover mm. um, and then you select the kind of vehicle you want and you can be very specific for mm. example you can say i want a closed pickup mm. mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we then take that delivery and we look at all the vehicles that could make that delivery happen mm. and we send notifications to the owners to let them know that that delivery is available right they in turn on their app can see all the del delivery details yes. they can see it on a map they can see the destination they can see the distance which we calculate for them 
We even uh, now use an algorithm that helps them understand where the pricing range would be given our history. Oh, good. Which helps it cross faster. And then with that information, they then send a price that they're willing to do the entire job. Right. At once. To pop? Yeah. Again, and then that goes the, the, to The you? trick there is uh. that they can see each other's pricing. Oh, so now that's the, that's the open marketplace. That's part. the open marketplace, <laughs> which helps you to price the delivery. Right. right. And there's no mark, there's no price fixing that happens. Well, the customer can growing. price fix. So okay. the customer can actually say, "No, uh, I've seen your pricing, but this is the pricing I want." And on their end, drivers can choose to accept. I see. That's I see. And basically, if you think about it, it's the same process that happens on the street. It is really. It's, a, it's called negotiation, bro. Yeah, someone, a friend of mine, said to me, "It's digi- it's a digital shimo." <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of the time, this is the stuff that we do. It's haggling. It's actually haggling. It is, and but the reason why this is much better than haggling on the street is, first of all, you don't just talk to the three pickups outside your business. You That's get true. to speak to all the pickups that could do the job. And in our yeah. case, yeah. we have almost we have five thousand vehicles now on the platform. 5, so you you really get the best price out there, um, and it brings the whole business uh, idea of always get more than three quotes. Always get right. Yeah. Oh so that, God, that's the second thing is that um, we vet them. So we know who they are. We have the documentation. We know mm-hmm. who owns the vehicle. We have mm-hmm. a copy of the logbook. Mm-hmm. We know who's driving it. We have a copy of the ID. But and wasn't we, that a big friction area for people coming into the company? The I mean, interestingly, it wasn't. They were very. They were very. It was very common for a lot of people to ask for identification when you transport their goods, okay. just because you're handing over some something something valuable. Yeah. And you want to make sure it gets. There. So back up to the to the beginning of of, not even Amitrak of Mark Wang. Where did you start now as an individual? Oh boy. To be, yeah, yeah, bro, because there's no way I'm going to let you get away with this. Where did you start as a person to get to this point where you're sitting on a company that does this? Okay, so... And I swear, if you tell me you are an agriculture student, I, I, I grew out. up. I grew up. I actually grew up here in Kenya. And, uh-huh. uh, I went to study maths in the UK. Mm-hmm. And uh, due to unfortunate family circumstances, I was self-supporting quite early. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you can imagine international fees uh, are quite steep. You're doing it yourself. Uh, so I was driving a truck at night. You were driving a truck at uh, night? Yeah, a small the truck. Hustle, a small man. Truck. I love it. I was it. driving it at night. But, uh-huh. but you know, it meant that... So it means you're going to school during the day, and then you're driving a truck at night. Mm-hmm. This is correct. This is and the thing. There's a thing humans do called sleep. I don't know. Yeah. About. So for four years, I didn't do any of that. And um, but <laughs> there was, <laughs> there was a blessing. Um, I mean, I literally used to start work around six thirty-seven and finish around four a.m. And I'd be doing my maths degree from around nine nine thirty till four five p.m. So I literally you slept guy. in the loading bays and stuff like that. Don't ask me about the legality. Yeah, I know. I'm not going to ask you any of those uh, questions. But it meant that when I finished and I, 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 I did okay in my maths degree, I found myself um, uh, an attractive candidate for banking. Yeah, So I got into investment banking. Ah, okay. You see now the devil has found you, bro. <laughs> and, I, and I did that for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And um, this is, is this in the early 90s? The two, you know, to black the people, you don't know. You could be like this, you're looking, you're in 64, cool. you just 27. You can't ever tell this vibe. Uh-huh. When was um, this, 2000? This early? is going to sort of, I sort of started banking in 2006, 2007. That's the worst time to start banking. True. Because 2008 is just over there. True, I had some issues. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> some, some issues. And I did that for a while. Mm-hmm. I actually worked for a hedge fund. Mm-hmm. And then I moved to a private equity desk. Mm-hmm. Uh, within your own hedge fund? Within, the, within, within the, the same hedge fund. Okay. And I actually, uh, I ran a mine in Canada. 
a mine. Yes. You know, Kenyan do running a mine in Canada. In, in a place called Ganda, just south of uh, the, uh, the, the, the North Pole. What are they mining in the snowy it, desert? I think the trick here is in the name because it was called Antimony. <laughs> Antimony. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran a dredging business uh, startup in the Great Lakes of China. Uh -huh. And I ran an oil drilling business in Ecuador. From the same desk? Same desk. So did I got a, a lot of air miles. Did you, did you, tra you travel <laughs> yeah. to all these places? Every, once a month. Once a month? Yeah, I know. To all three of them? To all three. You guys. Right. For how many but months did you do it? It taught me, it, ah, I did this for almost two years. Wait, and eventually wait, wait, wait. I sold the mine to the Chinese. Uh -huh. uh, I think we sold the drilling business to the Ecuadorian uh, authorities. Mm -hmm. And I left the Chinese startup still running. And uh, this Who was, was during the, I moved, I think, just after the financial crisis. I went Swiss, which was every, what every yeah. self-respecting banker did is you ran away to safety. You <laughs> ran away to safety. So I went to a Swiss bank uh -huh. and I joined as an analyst. And uh, the good thing was the experience I had operating businesses previously gave me a very good understanding of not just the financial side, but business in general. And what were you doing in the Swiss bank? Because Swiss banks don't So I was, deal... I was actually a, a portfolio manager by the time I left. But by that time, you're not looking at startups and small businesses. You're no, looking no. at multinationals. And... Correct. So Correct. the business ethics and the business structure there was it different from the startup small hustle mindset yes very. it was very different the principles are the same yes but the mindset is very it's very different. different tell me about the mindset i like this well the mindset, mindset is you're looking to buy um uh, i was a student of the warren buffet school of investment where you're looking to buy great businesses yes so these are businesses that have uh, strong moats mm -hmm. strong competitive advantages mm -hmm. that have consistently returned a very high uh, return on capital yes um Startups don't quite have that track no, record and, 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 and surety. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been it, that's been quite a different, difficult uh, adjustment to make. In, as a person to move out of that world mm. into this world, mm. that was one of the things that I don't uh, know. But don't go about. fast. Slow down. Let's go back to that space because while you're working in the Swiss bank and you're looking at all these banks, these companies that you're dealing with on your portfolio, the thing, what are the things that are standing out to you that you feel, a school didn't teach you and b really there's nowhere else in the world that you can be able to learn except in this place what are those things that stood out to you yeah i think um understanding business models from the perspective of um uh, i think clay christensen puts it best when he said in his book how to measure your life you know what problem am i solving what's yeah, my right. customer what job am i doing for the customer yeah. Right. And, you know, I think he, there's one where he describes a milkshake business and he talks about trying to understand why customers were buying milkshakes from McDonald's. And it turns out it's because they had a hand free in the car and they were stuck in traffic and they just needed it to keep them company. That's and it. unless you understood that, you, you could never sell more milkshakes. Yeah. And by the time he was done with them, there was, was one of the biggest selling items they had. Yes. But it was really understanding the job to be done. Mm. Um, a lot of the time, uh, we are still not there in Africa. We think putting a few iPads and replicating processes that are digital that are that are manual into digital is solving a problem it's called going digital yeah that's not how it and works. it's not really how it works i mean at tech i can totally tell you that's not how it works yeah, yeah. so watching companies like blockbuster go under because mm. of netflix watching kodak change his business model um, despite the fact that one of their own staff members created the digital camera kodak correct correct yeah uh, and, and it's that even seeing the phone market that happened when I was at my desk mm. 
get taken over by the iPhone. <laughs> Nokia, oh my God! Right? Hey. I mean, Nokia was so popular. I used to love my Nokia. Yeah. I missed the battery life. Yes. But I couldn't live without my iPhone. Like now. six weeks, this phone is still just looking at I you know. like, what's up? <laughs> and playing Snake. <laughs> snake, oh, that thing was the ball. Snake. Right. It's crazy because that, that was Finland's mark in the world. And I think if there's a lesson to be drawn from that world to this one is the fact that the way in which we are taught to look at business in business school mm. has its shortcomings. Because yeah. it doesn't allow a management team the flexibility of mind yeah. to adjust. So yeah. if you look at something like um, uh, something like the, the, all the let's, let's take a step back, look at all the big businesses that have gone under. Wow. They have great management teams mm. who never set out to lose. Nope. But because of the way in which they look at gross margin, incremental investment, yeah. incremental return on capital employee, yes. it's very difficult for them to spend on innovation. Exactly. Because innovation always looks expensive. And, it always... and their payback is always long. Exactly. And it consumes a lot of capital. Yes. It's right. not attractive to a business mind in the least. To At add least innovation. to the employed business mind. Ah, good one. I like that. That's right. good. To the employed business mind. In the last 20 years, the 37 most valuable companies in the, whether it's the S&P 500 or the New York Stock Exchange or the Nikkei, all of them did not exist. They didn't. Years ago. They didn't. And if you look at actually, U.S. businesses seem to understand this because if you look at someone like Visa, mm. Mastercard, mm. Oracle, mm. they've actually set up separate entities that are answerable to the C-suite mm. yeah. just to go and innovate. That's it. Right? Because they've realized if you try and innovate within the business, the business systems kill the startup. Boom. So you kind of have to put your capital aside with some clever people and just let them run madness in the corner. And if something hope. comes out of it... It's probably going to be bigger than your business. M-Pesa and Safaricom. Correct. Why is M-Pesa still part of Safaricom? This is a business that they should have cut out. It should have been independent. Should have been its own CEO, its own everything. Why? And at the risk of getting in trouble with Safaricom, <laughs> if you now try and integrate with them, it's an absolute headache. No, it just makes complete sense. Like I just, it's just. That's what they should have done. Somebody I mean, the fact be... that you have to send in seven paper copies of your documentation to use them on a business level—it's just. Ridiculous. Just makes you question, like, what are you people doing? Yeah, exactly. And you know that decision was not made by the Mpesa team. No, it was not. It was, <laughs> yo, Safaricom, what's up, people? <laughs> we love you, I really but hope you we know, don't get in trouble. I doubt it. They like us. They're nice. They know we're the innovation people. Mm-mm. So, back to that question again about now, and, and that's the stuff I was saying, you see, the way you've just crystallized how businesses can get, they can stifle innovation within themselves. So let's now fast forward. You you are you do the Swiss bank, you work there for what I'm assuming is a couple of years, yes? No, I was actually there for almost twelve years. What? Yeah. But, so by, by the time I left, I was in a twelve four month team and I wasn't the most senior person, so let's be clear. Yeah. I, we had a head portfolio manager a deputy head portfolio manager and two portfolio managers. I was one of them. Yeah. And before I left, we ran a public equities portfolio worth 5 billion euro. Yo, my God. <laughs> and it was really funny looking at the Kenyan market and thinking, I'm about to trade stock in, say, Airbus, and my Airbus holding is going to be more than the Kenyan market trades in a week. Yes. <laughs> that's it. And that's what you're trading. It right? opens your mind, though. It does, because mm-hmm. it... it also, you mingle with individuals that put things in perspective. So, give me that people, perspective. Give me that perspective. Well, right? 
I, I think the first one that comes to mind is uh, there was a particular in, in, um, uh, investor who was quite well off. Mm. No, 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 don't he give me was quite worth, well off. Give me worth. You have I much. think he was worth about 200 million euros. Okay. And he had time to have dinner with me, just to have dinner with me. Yeah. Because he wrote a book and I read the book and I loved it. So I said, hey, how are you doing? Can I? And he said, yeah, sure, come and have dinner. And we had dinner and he wore jeans. He didn't have an entourage. There were no Prados kicking you off the road with no. blue lights yeah. going. Okay. Yeah. He was just a normal guy who'd actually made his money and, and, and he had a respect for it. And, and mm. funny thing is, he, he didn't have a helicopter either. No. He's like, no, he didn't have any of those. <laughs> he didn't have any of that. Or psycho fans. But he was able to talk to you, email you back, call you back, SMS you. So when, when I came back, one of the things I've realized is we're very classist. Yeah, yeah. We right? think that that makes us better. That's a lie. In fact, it makes us look worse. It does because you miss a lot of informational input from further down in the organization, yeah. from people in different walks of life. Yeah. If you code on yourself off, if you're, if you're not doing that well, you want to hang out with people who are doing well. Yes. If you're doing really well, you want to hang out with people who are not, to lift them up and to make sure you don't do anything with them. And also to <laughs> learn what the opportunities for Correct. the people are. Because exactly. you're not going to, look, and this is the thing people don't understand. You don't create products for the few to be among the few. You create products for the masses to be among the few. Correct. Correct. And so, I don't know why that's so difficult for folk to understand. Yeah. I, I was going to talk about that, but then you're going to tell me, slow down, slow down. Let's go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. let me wait for you to say that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so Swiss Bank, 12 years. And then what happens? A couple of friends of mine, a couple of my friends died. Huh? What? A couple I, of my friends okay, died. Okay, this became dark very quickly. Yeah. What so, happened? So um, it made me, well, one of them just old age and another one killed themselves and just the stresses of life Bro. it's funny you know those guys aren't any less stressed than the mkokoteni driver no they're not right but killing themselves that's that's yeah i mean it was there was the city can be dark because it's quite an aggressive place to be where were you working at it was called pick asset management but my friends who killed my they were not there. were not there but then the city itself is where, where is it? the city of london is, yeah. is, is so you were in london, in london you're not in i was in london the whole time in london yeah. the whole time yeah london is dark it can be. It's a hard place. It, it can be. Yeah. And that's a perception that needs to be cleaned up. But I feel like that's another podcast. Hey, no, no. <laughs> Let me tell you something. And even, even if it is, I'm still going to say London, New York, Amsterdam, European cities, Western cities, American cities, many of them that have very isolated persona and also tend to be financial hubs. Hong Kong as well, Shanghai. These tend to be very dark places. Yeah, I was reading... Uh you all Harari he's got a book called Sapiens yes and he talks about the most free person is probably a bushman that's it but he lives with a skin and sits outside his hut with the sun and the most bound person is probably a really important employee somewhere in a big organization because there's so many things they need to do there's a pattern to their life there's no freedom to it yeah. it feels free it feels dark. it's very organized yeah. but it's dark the golden cage and I guess when my when my friend passed away it made me think to myself what would my 85-year-old self say? And mid-level banking wasn't going to cut it. <laughs> you know, if I'm on my deathbed, having been a senior employee in a bank somewhere is an achievement, you know, and I'm proud and I'm yes. really glad to that bank because they gave me so many opportunities. Yes. Honestly, I have many friends there. I, even the institution is still my friend. Yes. I've been there for a long time. Yeah, the, the development. It's more than a decade. But a time had just come to A, come home, B, build something meaningful. Just try and put some meaning back to, to yeah to the life to that existence. you have in your existence, and then and and did it even feel like home when you were coming back? Because well, for starters, 12, 12 for starters, you guys are mean, huh? Because you've already taken my citizenship. Quick. Oh, what? Yeah, because I became British. 
because I had to fly around the world and all this stuff, you can't belong oh, on a Kenya passport. That's true. So I had to become British. That's true. And the guys took away my citizenship ah. so I, I had luckily for me about four years before I moved back I had applied four years yes I hadn't got it yet and even after I got back for the first sort of 18 months I was flying to Tanzania every six months I for the Friday see. yeah because you're not allowed to stay for more than six months yes so you go you chill over there for me come back stop stop papa just just stop yeah Yo! Yeah. But then finally, my luckily for me, it came through, and mm-hmm. uh, now I have an ID, uh-huh. and uh, I'm, a, I'm a Kenyan. They took out the other ID. That's rough, by the way. That's, I'm sorry, bro. That's just mean. Like, so I'm, I'm one of the through. few Kenyans applying to be a Kenyan with a Kenyan birth certificate. <laughs> you just go say affidavit. I lost it. Sorry. Okay. So, so you do this thing. You come back, and then what are you doing? Like so. So when you resigned and or when you quit. And you said this is did you have a plan did, was army truck in your head did you know what the future was yeah tony so it wasn't that easy right i went through maybe a year of angst <laughs> just trying to work out what the right thing was between there or here there. there because i'm trying to work out should i leave this job mm. this is a good job it's a very good job right it's a very good job uh it's a stable job mm. i'm well entrenched mm-hmm. i'm well known yeah. even in the marketplace over there i was uh-huh. very well known uh-huh. so stepping away from that safety uh. into what felt like the unknown where nobody knows you nope you have no credibility nope you've never done it before nope like this is brand new uh, and really we could argue uh, even about the country right because i've been away for 24 years hey my gosh <laughs> you guys you left us with more you came back it's totally different life oh my god I, when i flew out i was telling i was laughing to my friends that when i flew out the first time i mean i flew back home frequently but yeah. when i flew out the first time you drove from south C and South B, there was a field uh-huh. all the way to the airport. What? <laughs> it was grass on both sides. There were actually wildebeest <laughs> on the right hand side of that trip. You guy. You... When I land when I land back now, you fly over construction. Yes. Over houses. Over little towns. And then you land in the airport. That, yeah. None of that was there. Wow, 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 wow. You, you know, things like Utawala. I don't know where that came from. Yeah. That wasn't there. It wasn't there. <laughs> it wasn't there. Literally, it wasn't, it wasn't there. there. There was ring road. Kitengela, didn't there it? Was mm. There was outer ring road. Which was ringed round. Literally, nothing. <laughs> outer ring yes. road. People don't get that. Correct. It's the outer ring yes. road. Yes. You guys left Nairobi when it was a jungle. It's good to see you 25 years later. Nini. And then you come back. So now you have angst a year trying to think about what you want to do. In fact, you're trying to think whether you're going to quit or not. What pushes you over the edge? I realize something. Mm. It's a difficult decision for a reason. So it's called a difficult decision because there's no right answer, right? That's true. That's true. So if I knew, if you could, if you could look at the future, like if I asked you which bug is heavier, yeah. So you could pick one bug up, pick the other bug up, and you could make a judgment, yeah. right? So the answer's in the question. Yes. It turns out when it's a difficult question, in my case, and don't break this theory because now I've quit my job and oh, I'm here. Yes. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> so you can't I'm, disagree with me. This has to be the right answer. <laughs> I'm all in there, man. It uh, turns out that the correct decision of whether to stay in your sort of mundane, boring life, making a fortune or go out and risk it all mm-hmm. and try and have meaning, mm-hmm. the answer's in you. That's true. And there's no wrong answer. There's, no there's wrong nothing answer. wrong with somebody who needs the safety to look after his family, pay yeah. his bills. Yeah. But there's also nothing wrong with somebody who wants to do a bit more than exchange his time for shiny pieces. That's true. That, that theory and so again denied. i checked with my 80 year old deathbed guy and yes. he was like dude jump <laughs> go now bro no because you need to do that stuff so i jumped i had no idea what i was gonna no, do no, but no, i knew no, it wasn't gonna be let me employed. just ask you this tough question that that you need to know about what did your family say 
Ah, so were you married so, with kids at that point? No. Were you single at that no, point? No, single. So did you have people around you who were looking at you like... Yeah, yeah. I think what? mostly for me, my family not so much because I was isolated a little bit over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think my mom uh, trusts my decision making. Yeah, because you've been doing well so far. Yeah, and I mean, I put myself to school anyway. So you can't... Uh, yeah, in fact, at that point... <laughs> you yeah, can't you, even come back with that. Yeah, argument. come back. <laughs> hey, mom, I paid my fees. The book come down. <laughs> Your mom's like, um, okay, son, you can go. But yeah, there were concerns. I think some people think I've gone mad. Mm. Mm. But you see, I think, I actually think it's mad to not try. It How can a, you not try? It takes a very special kind of crazy to no, say but then, that. But then, I now realize that I'm looking for employees mm. at Amitrak. Yeah. And guys, the guys, most employees, uh, Amitrak is hiring. Uh-huh. <laughs> the most attractive people to me are people who've tried something on them, by themselves. Because they have an entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. They engage in own issues mm. at a whole different level yeah. to someone who says they're experienced, but they're experienced at doing the same thing every day. Yeah. I mean, you are just, that's a champion. I mean, you've said so many things in a small, like that podcast should just end now. Because it's so powerful what you've said, because a lot of people wonder, what's the difference between an employee and an intrapreneur? You can have the thousand employees, but one intrapreneur will change your life. It took one person at Apple to create the first see-through Apple computer and that changed the trajectory of this whole company's journey. But there were 1,700 employees at Apple. Yeah, one person did the change. And you, know, and, and you have to be kind to these organizations because at some point you need a process. But if you look at where we are as a startup, everyone is kind of on the founding team. Boom. Right? Boom. Because the, the ideas come from... I'll, I'll give you a great example. Mm-hmm. We, we used to say, send your quote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the lady that helps us with the coffee and the tea and, and what have you around the mm-hmm. office was, was passing by. Mm-hmm. And she said, what's quote? And there was panic in the room. <laughs> <laughs> because... <laughs> quote, nini. There you go. That's it. And it changed. And we said, please send your price. You see... That's Wee. a contribution Mark from London could never have thought of coming ever, up with ever. in a thousand years. Yes. And there you have it, right? And and the the one of the things we're really fighting quite hard is highest income person opinion. Hip hop. Because highest people think personal opinion. Person's opinion. Yes. Because everyone thinks that if you're the higher up or you get more money than them or you have a bigger title than them that you have better ideas than them and yeah, this is not true this is not true this is not true I can just say that one more time highest income income person's opinion I person's got it from Google's opinion. book how Google, Google works how Google works people go read that book <laughs> I need to find and, it and, and, and yeah so we're trying to set up an organization where problems are actually tackled by the team where people contribute ideas and I've had to go to such great lengths as to do Google Forms Wow. So that people can send all the ideas. Everything. You're, you're, I, got that yeah. from, I got that from Google Accelerator for Africa. It's a big shout out to them. And it's basically, give me all the ideas. I don't care how crazy they are. Here's the problem. Yeah. Just throw the solutions at me. Throw it at us. Let's rank them. Let's try the top three. And see what happens. This is why Amitrak is just killing it out there, man. There's a way in which you have um, created a company culture at Amitra, which we're now going to jump into in a second, that even for people outside, first of all, the logistics and transportation space, and second, outside the startup community, can see, respect, and relate to, and say, I want my business to look like this. 
So that's really impressive. Yeah, it? it's not easy. It's not easy, but that's fantastic. It's really not easy. Let me tell you, it's it's one of the worst things that's happening to me right now as a founder is I'm moving away from founding was maybe a hundred percent of my time. Mm. It's now quickly becoming sort of thirty to forty percent. What are you doing? And then this? this other time is sort of split fifty fifty between found funding and 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 hiring. That's what it is, man. <laughs> I, I, let me tell you, and that's a painful change. That's the life, man. Hiring, firing, and funding it's a yeah. painful place yeah yeah so, it's so, crazy and and yeah and, and then having to let go i'm just glad i have a team where there's some functions i can now let go yeah and i'll make you laugh Tony. tell me tell me boulders call me my boulders my pickups and my trucks call me straight yeah because i recruited them that's what it don't is don't forget i spent three months touring utawala mm-hmm. pangani uh-huh. siokimau uh-huh. at the river <laughs> talking to these guys walking in the ground and, and like, understanding what's and then, up and, and then you're doing the, you're doing the kiswahili bar you're doing the kiswahili trying you know i'm going mark me me need to town laugh but it happened hey you have the business bro <laughs> you win you win it happened and, and, and so, they still come and talk to me you know so even now you'll find even this week i've had two drivers come around two truck owners come around sit down with me and just and chat just chat and then so so then let's talk about the 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 army truck itself the process of getting the company mark mongi from army truck like you've never seen him before <laughs> i really laughed about it so he's, he's really so bad we continue next time catch you tomorrow